I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. We'll do a McNeese State recap. We'll revisit some preseason expectations through two games. Uh, Tennessee preview, obviously, big game in the swamp on Saturday. We'll wrap up with thoughts around the SEC. Uh, Is too much being made of early season SEC struggles, Will, or at least perceived struggles couple couple big losses out the gate there well so we'll discuss that a little bit but first off uh hey man you're just getting back from vegas here so that's what we're recording a night night late here so how was your trip dude i mean it was good i'm old so going to vegas is still uh it's fun it's an interesting experience but it's not the same experience as when you were 25 or 35 even 35 going out there um i got kids man so like the three hour the three hours throws you off and came back on the red eye so it's gonna be a struggle for the next couple of days get ready it'll be good i've prepared myself to now be able to stay up late for uh for the tennessee game on on saturday so so you got any any gator props this weekend (laughs) um probably take the over would be my bet take take the over i don't care what it is take (laughs) there you go there you go All right, well, let's first, before we get into Tennessee, let's discuss the McNeese State game this weekend. And, Will, before I hear any, any, uh, as Deion Sanders would say, bull junk about, uh, yeah, it's an FCS opponent. There's nothing to read here, blah, blah, blah. Hey, listen, I seem to recall a moment a couple of Novembers ago when an FCS school rolled into the swamp and and set set a record, opponent record for the number of points scored. These games aren't always pretty. Uh, our opponent played in one of them a week ago, by the way, uh, here, uh, Tennessee versus Austin P. So it's about execution, Will. You don't read too much into the result in the sense that you don't, you can't necessarily extrapolate all these results to the next game. However, they went out and they executed this one. It was a thing of beauty. Some of the, some of the, the what they did was just great. They got back to who, who we thought they would be who at least we thought they should be, 51 rushes for 327 yards, 233 yards through the air. Uh, Really a nice tune-up, a nice tune-up for Tennessee. You wanted to see them get it together, play a cleaner football game. They had the one fumble at the end. But other than that, Will, we might have to amend our, our favorite, our new favorite motto here, feed two, feed seven. Number 20. Looks like he fits pretty, pretty well in that group there. Uh, Johnson, 15 carries for 119 yards, two touchdowns. ETN, 11 carries for 84 yards and a touchdown. And Trayon Webb, the true freshman out of Trinity Christian in Jacksonville, Florida, 14 carries for 71 yards, two touchdowns. Will that running game was impressive, but they had the offensive line. To th- hey, as great as those running backs are, that offensive line, I can't count how many of those 40 combined carries between those three. These guys were four or five yards downfield before anyone was even laying a hand on them because the offensive line did some serious, serious work against McNeese State on Saturday night, Will. And uh, if we get the offensive line stepping up and playing pretty well here, that's going to be a a big key for this offense going forward. Yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned the the earlier FCS opponents, not just Sanford, where they gave up 6.2 yards per play and 52 points a couple of years ago, but Eastern Washington gave up 17 points, 4.8 yards per play. So against McNeese, seven points, and the only seven points came after the turnover on offense for what the fourth or fifth string running back laying the ball on the ground deep in his own territory. 
They gave up 112 yards, 2.8 yards per play. So certainly a step forward from what we've seen against FCS opponents in the past. I, I think, you know, I'm treating this one in my mind a lot like a spring game mm-hmm. where there are things you can take from a spring game that tell you something about the team. Um, even if, even though we know the spring game is meaningless in many ways, this game against McNeese State is meaningless. And, I mean, look, the offense looked great. They had 560 yards total. But Tarleton State the week earlier against McNeese put up 52 points and 554 yards. So it's not as though Florida was like heads and shoulders above the other opponents McNeese has faced. McNeese was an overmatched team. McNeese was playing shell coverage and and basically saying, run the ball, go ahead. And Florida decided to take what they were giving them, which, you know, is is what you have to do in those situations. But also, I think it's very clear that Florida was the superior athletic team, as it should be for an SEC team playing playing an FCS team. At the same time, you got to do what you got to do, right? I mean, you got to actually do like it could be worse. It could be worse. I mean, I, I think Tennessee fans after the game against Austin P last week are more nervous than they were after the Virginia game. I think Florida fans probably a little bit more sanguine than they would have been after the Utah game. At the same time, I think the Utah and the Virginia games are probably more indicative of what we're going to see moving forward, or at least some of the problems we're going to see moving forward. And that'll be the question, right? Is the procedure penalties when Florida was physically superior started to go away? The mental mistakes when Florida was the superior team physically went away. But now they're going to have an opponent who comes in who's at least equivalent when it comes to their their physicality, when it comes to their ability, when it comes to you know having to be afraid that someone's going to beat you deep, those sorts of things. Um, and we'll see. Are those mistakes going to crop back up as the talent level comes back up? Or have they? Would, did they use this as a tune-up? In the way a lot of people use an FCS opponent to tune up for the season when they don't have an opener like Utah, sort of get those mistakes out of the way. So good win for Florida, but obviously an expectation for them to win. And I think, you know, it's interesting the way the season starts out with the game against Utah, then the game against McNeese, then the game against Tennessee and the game against uh, game against Charlotte. We're going to be back in the situation where, you know, next week's game against Charlotte doesn't really tell us anything about the team. So it's two weeks of feeling great if you if you win this game coming up against Tennessee. It's two weeks feel like garbage if you win this game or if you lose the game against Tennessee. So uh, an important one coming up here for the Gators. Well, I, I certainly – it's like we said before in the, in the preview show with McNeese. I think this is an opportunity to make a statement about who you're going to be, what you want to be going forward. And I think Billy Napier came out and he made that statement loud and clear on what he wants to do on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, so, yes, he absolutely gave the ball to the running backs. I think it then leads the leads to the question of why didn't we do that a week earlier, right? Like why did it take getting your ass kicked? to then have to go do this and 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 establish it on the ground. And my issue with Napier wasn't that the ball was getting stuffed when they were trying to run the ball against Utah. My issue with Napier is, is that they just didn't even try, right? That that they were they were they thought they had some sort of advantage through the air that they just did not have. And you know, they they had a really tricky a really sort of interesting setup with uh I think they had ETN in the backfield or no, they had they ran a reverse essentially, but it was kind of a cool play to uh, to Wilson, to Trey Wilson in right. this game against McNeese. I'm like, well, this is an interesting time to show that. Like, hmm. put so I guess they wanted to put that on film for Tennessee, so Tennessee has to prepare for it on the backside. Look, I, I think one game never defines your season, so the game against Utah doesn't define it. The game against McNeese doesn't define it. I'm not willing to read a whole lot into the McNeese win until – we start seeing the things that transferred from the Utah game to the McNeese game then show up against big-time opponents like Tennessee. And so, look, Napier has an opportunity here. The team has an opportunity here to completely bury any narrative that came out of week one. 
but they also have an opportunity to reinforce everything, every, every assumption and every narrative about this team that came out of week one. So the McNeese game doesn't reverse any of that stuff. Obviously, if they'd have struggled and it was 27 to 10 or something, we'd be having a different conversation about, oh God, like what's are we gonna go two and two and two and ten? And I don't think that's the case. But uh, but you know, McNeese is not a high level even FCS opponent. And so I don't think like like I said, it's a spring game, right? You look at it, you say, I can see a lot of positives. I can see a lot of things where there was progress made at the same time. It doesn't matter until you establish it on the field against a quality opponent. And Florida's going to get an opportunity to do that this week. Right. Still got to execute it. Even if, even if you are the superior opponent, you still got to go out and execute. Uh, hey, something else that stood out. Uh, Wilson certainly very involved, uh, very much enjoyed seeing uh boarding him flatten a defender, a potential tackler along the sidelines that uh, People are excited about that guy's athleticism. I think that play showed you why. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there were there were a lot of really good things in the game. I think from an offensive perspective, their ability to put together drives was impressive. The one the one pockmark in all of that was just really a lack of big plays. Coming out in the third quarter, they hit a couple. There's a 23-yard pass to Pearsall on the first touchdown drive, and then the 50-yard pass to Pearsall for the for the final touchdown that that Merch was involved in. Like they finally started to get some explosive plays to the air. But one of the reasons you want to run the ball as effectively as they do is to be able to take those deep shots. They didn't really take them that early on. And, and um, you know, that's going to be something that we're going to have to examine in this Tennessee game. I think Tennessee's going to do the same thing. I think they're going to dare Florida to run the ball. And, or I don't know, Tennessee might, Tennessee might take one of two tacks. They're either going to dare Florida to run the ball, six guys in the box and say, we're going to play coverage and keep everything in front of us. Cause we don't think you can make your way all the way down the field without screwing something up. Or they're going to get ultra aggressive and they're going to say, we don't think Graham Mertz can beat us deep because he hasn't shown that yet. Um, I suspect it'll probably be the former because you really don't want to get the swamp crowd involved if Florida is able to connect on a couple of big, big throws. I think what they're going to do is they're going to dare Florida to go on 10, 11, 12 play drives. And the question is going to be, is Florida going to be able to to maintain that against an opponent who is obviously superior to McNeese State? So the explosives, though, Look, those are indicative of teams that score in high-level amounts. Like teams that run 10, 11, 12 play drives consistently are usually teams that also have high levels of explosivity because those are just teams that score points overall, have really good quarterback play. Florida's going to need explosive plays. And the fact that they had very few against Utah and then only three against McNeese is something that I walk into this one with Tennessee being a little bit worried because, look, that game against Utah when it was 17-3, to game was over. And that's kind of where we're at is this team's going to have to play from in front. And, uh, you know, if Tennessee's able to pop a couple, all of a sudden you're playing from behind again, and that's just going to be a real struggle. Yeah. The, the other thing too, I know we, we praise the offensive line out the gate here, but just seeing it operate another week here without Egwakin at center to see that it, it did have a cohesion about it this week. And I understand the differential with the opponent, but Again, you execute with that level of cohesion where it seemed like guys were getting to the right spots and, and things were just working very well. I like to see at least you get that under your belt going into Tennessee week if 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 uh if Slaughter's going to be uh the guy for Tennessee against yeah, Tennessee. I mean look, I, I think the Utah game was a disaster, but this team isn't that bad. I think the McNeese State game was obviously wonderful to watch. I'm not sure that this team is that good. I think they're somewhere in between. And the question is going to be, can they rise to the opponent when they have an opportunity to do so? So, look, it's a home game against a rival. Napier hasn't beaten a rival since he's gotten here. Um, you know, this is one of those things where, you you know, 
look, I think we can all understand. I think we all penciled in a Georgia L at the beginning of the season. I think most of us penciled in an LSU L at the beginning of the season. I think you penciled in an FSU L. I had that one as a toss up, um, at least before the season started. So those three, you sit there and look and go, all right, those rivalry games, those are going to be tough. This is the one. If you fall behind Tennessee, then then that's that's a problem because Tennessee is just one year ahead of where Florida is in terms of rebuild. And obviously last year in the second year of the rebuild, Tennessee went 11 and two. So um, I think this is a measuring stick. And yes, it's great that we saw some cohesion from the offensive line. I thought Lindell Hudson looked very, very good. I think getting Aguacan back obviously is a big deal for a couple of different reasons, but mainly because, you know, in terms of the offensive line calls, making sure that you've got um, you know, you're, you're, you're focusing your, your line, the way you want to, the way you want to pick up, pick up, uh, pick up pass rushes or pick up blitzes or where you want to go in the run, how you're going to slide those sorts of things. Those are all things that the center controls as well as we saw a couple of times that slaughter got beat up front against Utah. You're going to be facing a pretty physical defensive front in Tennessee. So this is a test for Florida. I actually think though, it's more of a test for Napier because, he went away from the running game so fast against Utah. And I want to know, did he, did he learn his lesson or is he going to go away from the running game again against Tennessee? If it's not successful early on, because the reality is, is that the time that, that, that I expect Florida's running game to really take hold is in the third and fourth quarter when the mugginess of the swamp is really starting to make that first layer of Tennessee defenders wear down. And now can you run it for five, six, seven yards a pop? Whereas earlier in the game, it was maybe going for a half a yard or a yard. That to me is going to be the test and is the value of all the offensive linemen against McNeese State rotating in is that now hopefully you've got some more confidence in those guys. You can get your best five guys out there. And now you're able to, to in the third and fourth quarter, punish Tennessee because that's the path, right? I mean, the path to Florida winning this game is going to be reducing the number of, of possessions Tennessee has. It's going to be going on long drives and then scoring touchdowns, not field goals when they get down to the red area. And then going to be in the third and fourth quarter just saying, you know what? You know the run is coming. You have eight or nine guys in the box, and we don't care. We're going to run it down your throat anywhere, anyway because you're tired. You're not used to this heat. Here you go. Feed two, feed seven, give them the ball and let them go. But you got to be you got to be willing to stick with it in the first half. Maybe even punt the ball a couple of times, but have given your running backs opportunities to punish the defense. And they didn't do that against Utah and we'll see if if Napier has the uh has the patience to be able to do that in this one. Feed two, feed 20 or feed two, feed seven and let's uh give 20 an appetizer. How about that? <laughs> 20 deserves. <laughs> I think 20 earned himself an appetizer. Let's get 20 some maps there. Let we'll him, him let maps. him return some kickoffs. Yeah, man, that guy needs to touch the ball. He he looked quite impressive. Uh, for that's a true freshman too. He he looks very impressive for a true freshman there. Will and by the way, hey, this Billy Napier hasn't beat any of our ri- rivals. I'm gonna read you some numbers here. Will uh, final AP poll last year. Number one, number six. Number 11 and number 16, that's uh, the final rankings there. Georgia, Tennessee, Florida State, LSU. It's not like these are bad football teams he's losing to. Like, I'm not making – like, I don't want to go 0-4 against our main rivals in a year either. But, I mean, man, it's it's, it's some good football teams out there. I just want to give them a little credit there. All right, let's talk about the defense here. 112 total yards. Again. I don't care that it's McNeese State. You executed. You went out and did it. We've seen instances where the defense has not executed against far lower competition. 
this is awesome. This was awesome. I know I kind of I, I I I didn't give total credit to the deep. I thought the defensive stats were a bit of a mirage against Utah. Florida's holding on to the football for about ten minutes of the fourth quarter. They were up twenty four to three early on. Kind of like Mertz's passing yards. It's kind of garbage time stats in a way where, hey, yeah, the yardage ended up looking impressive for the defense, but how how great were they really in that game against Utah? I know they played a decent game, but I thought the stats looked a little better than the actual performance on the field. This game, the stats matched the performance. There, there was def, there was a definite tone set by that defense out there, and uh, it looks like something that the Gators can actually build on. Here, I'm not. I'm not sitting here thinking we got an elite defense uh, uh, just yet. Here, well, I'm, I'm not ready to make any bold proclam- proclamations with Tennessee come to town. But I'll tell you what, man, this certainly looks like a different product than what we witnessed last year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a completely different product than what we witnessed last year from the standpoint of this defense is just always aggressive. Like there were times last year where the defense was passive, allowed the offense to dictate what it was doing and still gave up big plays. And if you're going to be passive, and you're going to play a bunch of zones and you're going to run those simulated pressures where you've where you only got four guys run, rushing and you're not going to get home and your guys can't hold up in zone coverage. Well, you might as well just blitz at that point. And uh, Austin Armstrong says to hell with it. I'm going to blitz. <laughs> And, and there were a couple of times where he had human uh, Milan out in coverage where I'm like, mm, I don't know about this. Let's let Princely rush the passer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think so. Even if you look at the Utah game, I think they gave up something like 5.5 yards per attempt. That's like 45th would have been 45th last year overall. I think that's probably about right for the defense. I think there are going to be times where we where there are games where you get out there and you go, God, it just feels like we can't get off the field. But even in that Utah game, they were three of 13 on on or Utah was three of 13 on third down conversions. And I think McNeese was two of 12. So when you think about third and Grantham and you think about third downs last year, which were just awful, Florida's getting off the field this year on third down, which is, I think, a, a, a big deal. Now, the difference is they don't have the explosion on offense. So, you know, last year, Florida lost this game to Tennessee, 38 to 33. Um, there, This game, if, if, if Tennessee puts up 38 points, uh, Florida's in trouble because they're not going to score 38 yeah. points. But I think the defense is in a position to maybe have them in a game that's a little bit closer than that. There are two things specifically that I take out of this game from a defensive perspective. It's Shamar James, we knew he was good. He's a stud. This guy's going to be an all-SEC linebacker, I think, this year if he stays healthy. He's already got 19 tackles, two tackles for loss. He's all over the field, and he is one of the reasons why they're outstanding in the run game. If you go back and look at the Utah game, I was looking at a third down play where they allowed the where they allowed the quarterback to run in unmolested Barnes on third down but the second down play the running back had a free run to the run to the to the end zone and James just came out of nowhere and knocked him down nice open field tackle and and forced a third and four that obviously Florida wasn't able to get the stop but if you've got a guy like James who can go sideline to sideline, your defense is going to be better just, just by virtue of that. The guy I think who really flashed in this game against McNeese was Scooby Williams. And so if Florida, if Florida, and you know, I think a lot of us were kind of surprised. I was certainly that, you know, you got Taraja Mitchell, you have, um, you know, you have some of the, some of the other guys at linebacker that you brought in specifically to take that position. They had Manny Nunnery and those sorts of things. Spurlock. And yep. you had Spurlock. 
And I really thought Taraja Mitchell was going to get a lot of run. He's got three tackles so far. Scooby Williams has five tackle for loss, a sack, and that was a thunderous sack against against McNeese State. But the thing I think that's most impressive about it is he was aggressive and he did what he was supposed to do the minute he was supposed to do it and was really decisive. And I think one of the things that's different this year for the defense and I think was very apparent against McNeese State is they may make some mistakes, but they were decisive. And last year it felt like they weren't decisive at all, that they were all sort of sitting there on eggshells waiting for a mistake to happen. Now, look, McNeese State is is obviously you know not an offense that you're really fearing all that much. And so this, this week, completely different test. And, and Austin Armstrong's defenses have given up a bunch of big plays historically when he was at Southern Miss. Obviously gives up the big play in the first play against against Utah, but also gives up the big run there it, after the after the penalty for the two number threes on the field that then ends up being a touchdown as well. So 14 of the points that Florida gave up in that game were directly tied to big plays. They also gave up the touchdown after the interception, so didn't get the didn't get the force the field goal after the quick change. I think, and again, that's the other thing I can say. Maybe a negative point about McNeese is they get the turnover. Obviously, don't have the starters in, but still, quick change turns into a touchdown. They aren't able to stop them and hold them to a field goal or or hold them to a turnover on downs. So there's stuff to still improve on, but there's the flashes that we're starting to see. I thought Jakeem Jackson looked really good on the outside um, when he was when he was one on one on the outside. There was a play where probably would he'll get the interception in the future. Just got the pass breakup in this one. Um, still not getting a ton of pressure from the front four when it's just the front four Mm -hmm. that's going to have to change particularly this week not getting pressure with the front four is going to be a death sentence against Tennessee I think they will hit a bunch of big plays if you have to constantly bring pressure but uh you know look I I think given where we were last year where we were just looking for improvement the Utah game was improvement but like you said a little bit smoke and mirrors McNeese State shows improvement as well though an overmatched opponent this week again is an opportunity for Florida's defense and Austin Armstrong to say hey like we're not just we're not the weak link that we were last year. We're now able to sort of be contributors to what Florida's going to do. And look, Florida's offense clearly going to take a step back this year without Anthony Richardson. I think we've seen that in both games actually. Um, but but if the defense can take a step forward, then the team there's no reason the team can't be just as successful as it was last year. Maybe a little bit more. Hey, huge opportunity for Austin Armstrong and this defense to make a statement this weekend. I know uh, Mr. Joe Milton's got a few things to prove himself, uh, but man, if, if they come out and play well against Tennessee, that's that is definitely going to reshape the narrative on what the defense here is at Florida. Um, all right, let's let's uh, move on to the next topic here. Will we're going to revisit a few preseason expectations through two games? Uh, let's start off with the offensive line, the running game. I know we just talked a little bit about them here with the McNeese State game, obviously. The way the the Utah game shook out, you talked about lack of commitment toward the running game. Really, some people can look at that and go, well, we were down in the third quarter and we kind of had to abandon that game plan. Well, if you look at the first half, that didn't seem to really be the game plan at all against Utah. So it is great that Napier comes out and makes that statement about the running game. I think these guys are who we thought they were in the running game. And I think this offensive line, let them get into that rhythm. It's a little bit of rhythm. and It's a little bit, hey – it might be a little slow that first and second quarter, but Florida's going to be the type of team with these physical backs. How many times did you count Montreal Johnson actually going to the ground the other night? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot. The guys just can run through. They, they will wear you down. And if you could throw three quality backs at any team over the course of a game, they will wear you down. The other thing, 
that Napier likes to talk about is complimentary football. And this is going to be something that helps not only Graham Mertz, a quarterback like Graham Mertz, but it's going to help the defense stay off the field for a while. Florida can eat up the clock, be the type of team to keep Tennessee on the sideline, for example. Hey, I I think they need to be totally committed to this running game. And I think the offensive line showed that they are quite capable against McNeese State here. And I'd like to see a commitment to that going forward, Will. But in terms of the offensive line running game, any adjustment from your preseason expectations so far? Um, yeah, I thought they were. I thought it was really bad against Utah. I think if you, yeah. if I was to give an overall grade for the offensive line right now, we're uh, in the running game. We're talking like C minus D plus, like somewhere in that range. You're supposed to dominate McNeese State, like, and and I've been thinking about this, and I think I even wrote it in in the preview article that's up on Read and Reaction right now, is that if today had if if last week had been a buy. Instead of a game, how would we feel about the running game coming off that Utah game? We'd be like, oh, my God, it's a disaster, right? So the fact that you just had essentially what amounts to a spring game and you dominated McNeese State doesn't make me feel a whole lot better. Like, they're going to have to come out and prove it. Now, that doesn't mean they can't. But it doesn't mean that I'm sitting here going, well, that we've solved every problem now that we played this game against McNeese. No, you put up a data point against an overmatched opponent where you went out and dominated in the way you were supposed to. But you're a running team. You're supposed to be able to dominate in that capacity against good teams as well as McNeese State. And they got absolutely stuffed when they tried to run the ball against Utah. Now, they didn't have the commitment to the running game that they needed to have in that game. Right. They, did, they didn't. Was that more of the problem, or was the execution itself more of the problem against Utah? Because how many carries did Johnson and ETN get in that first half? It was oh, like, yeah. I mean, Johnson kicked Napier's dog amount. before the game. Yeah, Johnson kicked Napier's dog before the game or something. He got like one <laughs> carry for three yards. But, yeah, that's what they but, didn't even try to well, run the ball uh, that first half. But, I mean, there's a reason why they didn't try, right? And and that makes me wonder, what did Napier know about his offensive line going into that game? And was he trying to essentially protect them from something that he knew was a problem um, against, against a big-time opponent? So, look, I'd love to be optimistic coming off McNeese. I think I'm more optimistic coming off of McNeese than I would be had it been a bye week. But I think in many ways that's my wishful thinking. It's not like actual real football analysis because – I mean, it would be like, like I was just there was something on Twitter today that about a game last year that 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 IMG was playing that they stopped at halftime because they were up like ninety eight to nothing, and I'm like, that's what this is, right? This is like if you had, um, it's like if you had the the Patriots come down and play Alabama, like the Patriots should dominate them every freaking time, and that's what it is when you have a SEC team go play an FCS team. So I'm glad they dominated. It could be worse had they not. And then I'd feel worse about things, but I mean, I'd also give them an F for the Utah game in terms of the overall running game and offensive line and coaching that goes into that. So look, I mean, they have, they redeemed themselves a little bit in a way they should have against McNeese. They couldn't do anything other than play the opponent who was in front of them, but they haven't proven anything yet. And this is an opportunity to do it this week, but I mean, in hell, if they go out and dominate, awesome. I'll give them all sorts of kudos for dominating on the ground against a Tennessee team. It's a pretty quality opponent. But uh, but you got to go out and actually prove it because beating McNeese, McNeese isn't really isn't really something that I'm like, ooh, look, we're going to put a feather in our cap and say, woohoo, we did that. I'd like to see, regardless of the defensive game plan, like we just don't have an elite passing game where it's like, oh, well, the defense is giving us this read, so let's, let's pass in this situation. Sure, once in a while. But with the type of running game we have, with the type of backs we have, 
throw it at the wall if you have to. If they're lining up to stop the run, commit to it. There needs to be a certain number. Like, I mean, what was it when, when Percy played here? Urban would always say 20 touches, right? You got to have 20 touches for Percy. Like, have a commitment to that number and, and and just make them stop you. Now, I would love to see Florida, instead of us talking about someone else dictating what we're going to do, we come out, we dictate what we're going to do, and they got to deal with it. I would love to see that type of attitude from this team going forward. That wasn't the attitude against Utah, and we saw how that looked. Speaking of that well, and, and then game, I was oh, And then I was going to say, you need to have actions off of that then, right? So yeah. one of the things I think Seth Varnador on his on his uh, stuff over at Varnador Films yeah. was showing that there Rights were... for uh, Gators Breakdown on the new website for Gators Breakdown too, so check that out. Yeah, he was over there. I can't remember which one it was on, whether it was Varnador Films or a Gators Breakdown, but he was showing that, that on a bunch of the different pass plays that Florida had, they had two screen actions on offense when they had screens called, right? So, and it looked like probably it was a read that Mertz had, but in many ways, having those multiple screen options is a way of slowing down the defense when yeah. they're coming after you because they were up there to stop the run. You run a play action, they still got a bunch of guys up tight. You don't have time to go take a deep shot just because the offense hasn't been able, the offensive line hasn't been able to generate time for that. And it doesn't look like Mertz is going to be the guy who's going to hit a bunch of those deep shots as well. So you set up those double screens off of that. The reverses to to Wilson are important as well because they don't have the ability to hold the back end defensive end with a read option the same way that they could with Anthony Richardson or even Emory Jones. And so holding that backside defensive end by having Trey William or by having Trey Wilson come around the edge a few times, all of a sudden opens that up. So there's some window dressing that they can do in order to sort of get back to where they are. But again, yeah, it's bread and butter when there's eight minutes left in the game and Florida gets the ball and they're up by three, this team is going to have to be able to run against eight and nine man fronts to put the game away. And so if you're going to have to do that to put the game away, then you, ought to, then you ought to at least try it in the first and second quarter. And sort of what I said earlier in the episode, by the time the middle of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter comes around, you want Tennessee to want you to throw the ball. You want Tennessee to be sitting there going, please don't run this down my throat again. Like, I'm tired. I don't want to deal with this. Tone. But right. the only way you do that is if you've been willing to sacrifice a few things in the first half in order to get things done. Now, this is where the defensive improvement becomes critical, right? Because you, if you feel like you have to get maximum value out of every drive out there, maybe you don't put that, maybe you don't invest in the running game early on, even if it means you're going to have to punt because you feel like you got to get points, as opposed to what you might do is say, look, we're preparing for the fourth quarter right now here in the first, and maybe we'll pop this run and get the first down on third and three, but we're okay not getting it and punting the ball away because our defense is going to get the stop. So in many ways, this is sort of the, the complementary aspects of the team and how they're both going to have to step up. Did you and, – and you're talking about motions off the run game with Wilson. It made me think of the clip I saw on Twitter with the way Mike McDaniel will throw a little NFL in here for everybody. The way Mike McDaniel was using Tyreek Hill against the chargers, the types of motions he had him in where he's just, he's basically on a dead sprint by the time the ball is snapped on so many snaps with the guy with that kind of speed that is just going to put the defense in a tough spot. So there are absolutely – now that's in the passing game there, Will, but you can do those type of play actions off of – off of uh, in in the run game too. You can kind of like create those type of reads where the linebacker has to drift out to catch – you know, to cover a guy and you end up handing it up – handing it off up the middle and testing them up the middle. So I think there's a lot of different things they can do um with that in the running game that that they keep that commitment there will but hey through two games so far 
thoughts on Graham Mertz? I, I know just a, another statistically steady performance against McNeese State here. Uh, I didn't see anything particularly special in, in, in this one from Mertz, but at the same time, 14 to 17, it's just, just steady numbers. Didn't really make a gigantic mistake or anything like that. Just a steady performance in, in this type of game. And really that's, kind of what we got. We just got the guy who can come out and give you a steady performance and against the big teams, we'll see what he does type of thing. That's kind of, I haven't changed my opinion on Mertz at all. I think he's about meeting expectations for me through two games. Yeah. I mean, I think it's what I said last week on, on stand up and honors. I said, he's not the problem, but he's not the solution. And that's the solution is feed two, feed seven. <laughs> and they're going to have to do that. And, and, and maybe, maybe feed three given Eugene Wilson and some of the things that he's able to do out and there. An appetizer but, for 20. And an appetizer for 20. But look, Mertz has weapons around him. He's going to have to take advantage of those. Um, he's not a downfield passer. He's not getting a ton of, um, you know, he's not, he's not a difference maker. He wasn't even really a difference maker in this McNeese game. And so I don't think we should expect him to be. I think it's unfair to cast those expectations on him and say, you're going to be out there with a QB rating of 160 in these big time games. He's going to be around 140, maybe 130. He needs to minimize turnovers. The turnover against Utah was an absolute killer. Um, irrespective of whose fault you lay that, whose feet you lay that fault to, that can't happen deep in your own red zone. Can't have those turnovers. So he can't fumble it. He's going to have to do a little bit better job of getting the ball out when, when there's pressure. Um, all those sorts of things. But, uh, you know, this this offense is not going to rise and fall with Graham Mertz. This offense is going to rise and fall with Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne, and that's just the reality of things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not disappointed in the way Mertz has played, but I'm not excited. I'm, I, there will never be a time where I bounce my, my grandkid on my knee and tell him about the Graham Mertz era at Florida, and that's just sort of the way it is. The old grandkid on the knee test from Will Miles. That's 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 how you know if you've accomplished something at the University of Florida. That's that's good. Uh, all right, let's let's switch over to the defense here. Which unit of the defense has been a pleasant surprise so far for you? Oh, linebackers, no question. Yeah, I mean, I already after I already, that last segment, <laughs> I already, I already mentioned James and and Williams, but even that. I mean, Derek Wingo has done a nice job when he's been in there. I think there's, um, you know. It's not as though there's like guys that I'm sitting there going, oh yeah, anybody beyond James and and Williams are are flashing. But you've now got James playing at an All SEC level. You've got Williams starting to flash, and if those things can get combined with just just adequate pressure up front to keep the linebackers clean, all of a sudden now you're going to be a really good defense against the run which is going to then force defenses or force offenses into third and long. And I think that honestly Armstrong one of the best things that he said earlier this season before the before the season started in one of the press conferences was that essentially you you make third down stops on first and second down. That by getting teams into third and eight, third and nine, third and 10, that's how you get third down stops. That if it's third and two, third and three, you've already put yourself so far behind the eight ball that you're just not going to be able to get those conversions. I'll tell you, one thing we haven't seen is we haven't seen, I haven't seen, I don't re recall, like a third and eight or a third and nine where Florida had somebody dead to rights and the and the play turned into something where you're like, how the hell did they get first down on that one where somebody's running all over the place? Guys are in the right position. And so, look, there's still some work to be done in terms of um, in terms of physicality of the team, especially up front. I think the defense, the defense on the back end still struggles with coverage from time to time. But um, given what we're seeing at the linebacker position, I think that there is a lot of – we should have a lot of um, – 
we should not like this is going to be a top 10 defense, but this is no longer a, a unit where the ball gets kicked over. Like, oh crap. Like there's seven points. <laughs> like last year, every time the ball got punted, like, you know, Florida got stopped on a third down and we're like, Oh, well now we're going to be down by seven. Well, Tennessee last year, great example. You felt like we have to score almost every drive to have a shot here. Yep. And now I will say that, that now I will say that I hope that Billy Napier has that attitude when he comes in to this one because I do think that, that look I think Tennessee, even though they've had some offensive struggles the first couple of weeks, I think Tennessee is a strong offensive team, and I think Heupel's going to have him prepared. I guarantee he wasn't showing anything significant yeah. against Austin P last week. Yeah. And one of the things that's like so there's been a lot of talk about um, about Joe Milton and his um, his yards per attempt. And rightly so, because he's averaging 6.8 yards per attempt, 6.7 against Virginia, and 6.9 against Austin P. But one thing that's not factored into that is he had Brew McCoy for an 80-yard touchdown on the third drive against Virginia, and McCoy just completely dropped it on a bomb. And if you add that 80 yards in, all of a sudden he averages 9.4 yards per attempt against Virginia, and the, and the narrative is completely out the window. So that, to me, is going to be the question, is they're going to have some opportunities to make some big plays. Is Florida going to step up? Will the defensive back be able to stay with the receiver and have a, uh, have a pass defense or a pass breakup? Is he going to get beat completely and a guy like McCoy just drops it? Or is he going to get beat completely and all of a sudden it turns into an 80-yard touchdown? Because McCoy doesn't drop that ball twice right like that's 99 out of 100 times he catches that ball so he's all we've I already gotten we that saw McCoy uh come down with a catch where he was wide open last season in this yeah. game I think we you saw know. one of those <laughs> so um yeah so anyway I, I think there are uh the, now the good news is is that we shouldn't have random plays where guys are just running free for no damn reason like we did yeah. last year so we could have yeah. used two number threes on the field for that coverage that could have been good Um, speaking of speaking of milton here i i really think this is i i know we are florida gators show we focus more on the gators but if you step back and look at this from the sec point of view or the national point of view i would i think people are going to be tuning in this game who is joe milton i think that's going to be the main question that comes out of this game and and i would flip that for the gators to say is this defense for real because this is a, a a real statement this is a chance to make a statement against this offense we saw Tennessee light up college football we know Josh Heupel knows how to run an offense but I think there's been a lot of hype around Joe Milton and this was a game you and I circled in the offseason and we've been talking about this one first off it's a helmet game meaning uh Tennessee like Lee Corso used to always call that when, when I was a kid growing up in Columbus Ohio Ohio State could not beat Michigan for the life of them. They could, they just every year was just a John Cooper era. Could not beat Michigan. And uh, Lee Corso said, it's the helmets, man. It's the helmet. It's a helmet game. So I, I think there is a little bit of that with Florida and Tennessee, where Tennessee can just look at the helmets and look at the swamp. Hey, you haven't won here since 2003. You're going to be hearing that all, all week. But that only carries so much weight. But there's a little bit of weight in there, I, I feel like. But for Joe Milton, to be anointed as this Heisman Trophy type of potential in the offseason by some some people talked about this guy's very highly and look all the tools are there but they were they're out of high school he's a highly touted recruit out of high school we haven't seen it for a full season with Milton and and hey do I think if anyone could get Milton right it's Heupel yeah I do do I think that his Florida defense has a ton to prove yes but so does Joe Milton and that's why I think that there's a ton of pressure on him coming into this game. Luckily for him, he's surrounded with a ton of weapons on this Tennessee offense, to your point. 
And I do think the Vols are, are going to be uh, a scary offense again this year. But what are your expectations for this defensive uh, matchup against Tennessee for the Florida Gators? So this one is one where I, I think Austin Armstrong is going to earn his keep. Because if you look at how Virginia and Austin P. um tried to defend Tennessee. They basically put six men in the box and then they just had five defensive backs at the sticks the entire game. There was a second and four against Virginia that I've got in my preview article where there wasn't a guy within 10 yards of any of the receivers on a second and four. So Milton just throws the ball out to his wide receiver out in the flat. The guy runs for six yards. It's an easy first down. He wasn't immensely accurate on those balls out of the flat. So those end up being a six yard run instead of like a 15 yard run. Um, so if you're a solid tackling team, there will probably be opportunities to, to come up and make those sorts of plays. The thing is, is Austin Armstrong doesn't run those sorts of defenses, right? He doesn't run defenses where you basically put a shell out there and say, Hey, defensive line, go stop the run. But if you look at it, Jabari Small and Jalen Wright, so Small's run for 6.2 yards per rush. Jalen Wright's run for 9.3 yards per rush. The fact there hasn't been any, and and that's not just the game against Austin P. It's also against Virginia. Now, obviously, Virginia lost to an FCS team last week, so it's not like they're really all uh, No, the dude, hey, James Madison, they're up uh, in FBS. Yeah, James Madison's up in They made the well, leap. They're FBS. Right. <laughs> Non-Power 5 team. Thumbbell, um, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so they've beaten Virginia Tech before. I guess I shouldn't be too uh too downtrodden yeah. on James Madison. Plus, you I used to drive by ball. there every time I'd every time I'd leave Virginia Tech and go up to DC. But um anyway, Jalen Wright ran for 9.3 yards per rush, Jabari Small at 6.2. They've done that against both entities, mainly because teams have said we're not gonna let Joe Milton beat us. We're gonna make him take stuff underneath. We're going to make Tennessee run the ball and we're not going to let them run us out of it. So like the first drive against, uh, against Virginia, I think it was eight plays and it was five rushes up the middle against depleted fronts or against limited fronts. And then it was three swing passes. Like that was how they went down the field and scored their initial touchdown. Now, even then the play action eventually made some of the defensive backs bite for that play against Brew McCoy that I mentioned where he dropped an easy 80 yard touchdown pass later on in that game. So um, that to me is going to be the question is that's not an Armstrong's DNA to sit there and just lay back and say, I'm not going to bring any pressure and those sorts of things. But I'm curious as to whether they're going to at least early on say, look, I think, that is a sound strategy. So I think it was the first four drives for Tennessee were – hold on, I've got it written down here somewhere. So, you know, the the first four drives were um, – they were all extended, first four touchdown drives. They were eight plays, 13 plays, nine plays, and 10 plays against Virginia. Now, obviously, those all turned into touchdowns, so that's a mm-hmm. problem for the, for the for the Cavaliers. But what you're doing when you play a defense like that is you're daring Tennessee to go down the field and not make mistakes. And so that to me is the question that Austin Armstrong is going to have to answer is, is he going to basically say, I trust that my front my front six with a nickel behind it is going to be able to stop the run. And so I'm going to load up on the back end and make Joe Milton throw underneath, throw underneath, throw underneath. And I think I'm going to be able to get a bunch of third down stops. Or is he going to say, I don't necessarily trust my front six to get the stops against the run. I'm going to bring guys up. I'm going to force Milton to take deep shots, and I'm going to trust my guys on the outside to limit those sorts of things going down the field. And I think Milton may be inaccurate going down the field, and that's where Milton's got to prove something. So I think what you need to look for in this game is not like, is Joe Milton going to prove something? It's, is Austin Armstrong t- trying to make Joe Milton win the game? 
or is he trying to make Joe Milton go underneath and have other people win the game, including Jabari Small and Jalen Wright at running back? Were it me, I think I'd try to probably do the 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 latter, where I'm making the running backs try to beat me, and I'm not trying to give up big plays to Milton. But that is not Armstrong's DNA. That's not his defense. I think he's going to do the other part, which means Joe Milton, if he hits three 40-plus plays through the air, Tennessee wins this game easily. If he overthrows the guy when he has those opportunities, then it's a much closer ball game. I think that's probably what this comes down to. If you check out the first two Tennessee games, they were explosive on special teams, Will. Uh, we don't have any weaknesses on special teams, though, right? Nah, that should be no problem for us. Jeez. Tennessee, plenty of firepower, plenty of offensive playmakers. The running game strong there. Milton definitely has something to prove, in my opinion. Uh, Will, Will just outlined it very well there. Let's talk about the offensive side of the ball for the Gators, Will. How are you feeling about that matchup against the Vols? I mean, so I, again, I think it depends on what they decide to do. I, I think Tennessee is thin on defense. Everybody talks about their front, their front seven, and they're right. Their front seven is pretty gifted, but they have nobody behind those guys with any sort of experience. It's all freshmen and seniors because the 2021 recruiting class was just decimated by departures, and rightfully so, right? That was the Jeremy Pruitt um, McMuffin scandal, and all of a sudden, you know, the the uh, <laughs> all of a sudden the 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 recruiting class that that committed has a brand new coach. I get why those guys left, but you can't just like laugh off the fact that an entire recruiting class is gone and that it was a recruiting class from three years ago. Yeah, they've tried to fill that with the transfer portal and 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 that's all well and good. But even over the last three years or you know, last three years, they've only brought in 12 guys on defense total. So they haven't been able to make up the number of guys because you'd usually bring in about 12 guys in a recruiting class, 12 or 13 guys in a recruiting class on the defensive side of the ball. They brought in like eight over the last couple of years and then another three or four this year to get up to that 12 number. So they're, they have numbers, but they don't necessarily have the same level of experience or the expectation where those guys are going to deliver. So they're reliant on the upperclassmen who've come back and are effective up front. So this goes back to Billy Napier. Are you willing to say, I'm going to try to run over you in the first quarter and the second quarter, irrespective of the front, irrespective of whether it's successful, because I know that, with the humidity and with the swamp and with all the energy that everybody's going to expend early on being hyped up that I'm going to be able to take advantage of you in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, because you're going to be run down. If he does that again, I think this game is close. If he doesn't do that, I think Tennessee has, <laughs> has an opportunity to stop Florida because Graham Mertz, like I said, is not the problem, but not the solution. And so you're looking at 17 points if you put the balls, if you put the ball in his hands and say, go win me the ball game. I I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think I think you need 20 carries out of ETN and Montreal Johnson and potentially Webb there in the first half. I think you need to just pound it. And that means you might have to make some third down and three conversions, right? Where you hit the tight end and then immediately go back to run, run, okay, quick throw, run, run, quick throw. You're going to have to make a couple of those first down conversions. That's where Mertz can really be effective. But if you're running play action after a couple of runs and trying to take a deep shot, um, I, I think that's probably the wrong thing to do early on. I think you need to wear down the defense because Tennessee's issue isn't talent for their starters. Tennessee's issue is that when the starters have to come off the field because they need a blow, there's nothing proven behind it. And so um, I think that's where Florida can gain an advantage, but they're going to have to use the advantage they have to get there. Well, so overall, how are you feeling about this game? Not good. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I think if you if you look at it and say, um, do I trust Joe Milton versus Graham Mertz? Milton has given me reason to question that more than I would have coming into the year, but I still think he's more of a difference maker than Mertz is. I think Tennessee's running game has looked really good so far this year. Milton can run too. He's a sneaky good runner too. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm just waiting for the backbreaking turnover from Mertz. Like we saw it against Utah. There wasn't an opportunity against McNeese. We'll see if he does it against Tennessee. But, you know, you've watched all that Wisconsin film where they were playing Ohio State and Michigan. Like when people get in his face, all of a sudden things speed up. Another and, reason to commit to the running game. Well, absolutely. Go all in. But, you know, I mean, are, are we going to Treon Harris this game against Georgia where we just like run the ball and let him throw do like it. six times? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean I think it's it's incredibly it's it's absolutely possible Tennessee puts up 50. It's also possible Florida's defense keeps this game close. It's possible that Billy Napier runs the ball, makes a lot of fourth down conversions and keeps the ball out of Tennessee's offense's hands and the game is a lot closer. But if you were to ask me like propositions, what do I think the percentage winning? It's probably I think ESPN has it like 55-45. I think it's more 75-25 Tennessee. I think Tennessee is um yeah, and this is from a guy who wrote an article a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> you know, in terms of Tennessee's going to take a step back. Yeah, they're going to take a step back, but Florida going from Anthony Richardson to Graham Mertz is taking a step back as well. And so, uh, you know, look, there's a reason why Florida um, was picked by some people to go three and nine. There's a reason why the over-under was five and a half. It's because that's what the the general consensus is for this team. They're going to have to prove us wrong. And the first data points in, pointing against Utah didn't give me a whole lot of confidence. And like I want to believe what I saw against McNeese State, but I have a hard time believing what I saw against McNeese State. So I hope they go out and they prove me wrong. I hope they punch Tennessee in the mouth and this ends up like a 35-10 to 10 win. And we go, ha-ha, they can't win in the swamp. You guys thought you were back. It's Butch Jones again over there and Josh Heupel. And, uh, you know, sort of, sort of go forward with that. And that is a possibility. But the fact that, you know, the likelihood that Tennessee wins 35 to 10, I think is way higher than the likelihood that Florida wins 35 to 10, which means all the little small things are going to make a difference. And this is where I go back to Napier and sort of the, the value prop that he was going to bring operational excellence that we really haven't seen yet. You know, I, I want, he's going to have to make some decisions that turn this game in Florida's favor, whether it's fourth down conversions, whether it's not trusting a kicker, who's going to, who's going to blow a 30 yard field goal, whether it's actually fair catching a kickoff. So you get the ball to 25 instead of getting tackled inside your own territory, or whether it's having all the guys with the right numbers on the field, like those things are all going to have to be completely taken care of. Florida will have to do everything right to win this game. I think Tennessee can make some mistakes and still win. So that's probably the difference. You got a prediction. Yeah, I got Tennessee winning 31 21. 31 21. I think Mertz, I think it's going to be close, but I think Mertz is going to have a turnover late in either the third or the fourth or early in the fourth. And Tennessee will convert into a touchdown. And then it'll be, hey, we're down by 10. We got to go two minute, two minute offense. And it takes us seven minutes to drive down the field. So you, you sound a little like me too, where you sound like you're having a little bit of a battle with your head and your heart this week, where the heart, the heart says you want to believe what you saw against McNeese State, but the head's like going, eh. Got to, got to evaluate some of the data that's actually been put out there. Well, the head says the head says that last week the McNeese game didn't matter to me at all. Right, <laughs> just looked at it and said, "I'm not going to know anything about this team until they play Tennessee." And then they go out and they play McNeese, and I go, "Well, okay, maybe I should believe some of that stuff." Like, you know, but but it's it's like the uh, it's like the person it's like Lucy and and Charlie Brown, right? Like, you know. 
Lucy actually let Charlie Brown kick the kick the ball against McNeese State, but yeah, <laughs> that's just. <laughs> but, but it wasn't. But it wasn't really an important moment yet. And the question, I just, I'm, I am like guarding my heart that that ball is going to get pulled against us against Tennessee, and we're all going to come out going, oh. I also look. I want to set expectations that if Napier pulls this out, I think he's done an excellent job of preparing the team and getting them ready to win this ball game. This is not a inferior opponent where you're going out and going, oh, this is old school. This is Tennessee where they've been struggling for a decade. Like, look, Heupel's a good coach. I think I think Tennessee's going to win eight, nine, ten games per year under him. I'm doubtful they're going to get to national championship level. But beating an eight, nine, or ten win SEC team is a significant accomplishment for Florida given where they are right now and given how they looked a couple of weeks ago. So um, my expectations are Florida will lose, which means if they win, I'm going to be hyped as all get out next week. But look, I mean, Napier, it was something I said after the Utah game, and I really believe it is there's been a lot of talk about operational excellence. There's been a lot of talk about process. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, getting people in the right positions to win. There's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, hey, this is a guy who's going to make sure everyone's prepared and that the the operational parts of the game are taken care of. We got to see it, right? And part of seeing it is getting a W. Because the SEC is great and we can have moral victories and we can see improvement and progress and all that sort of crap. But at the end of the day, like I, I, I was on, like you said, I was in Vegas and I forgot to download some stuff. So I wound up watching Swamp Kings again on the way back. And there's a portion there where Urban Meyer is saying, you lose three games in the SEC your first year at Florida and nobody likes you. You lose three year, three games again in the SEC your second year at Florida. You're not the coach here anymore. And you know, like I'm not saying that Napier's going to be gone after this year, but I'm saying that attitude and that level of desperation is, I think, something that we need to see because <laughs> because you need to win some SEC games. You need to put some W's on the board. Just like going out there and looking halfway decent against a, an opponent isn't good enough anymore. And there are some rivalries coming up, and we're going to have – look, I get what you said last, you know, a half hour ago, talking about the rankings of the, of the rivals. But Florida should be a top 15 team if you're building the program to where it needs to be, which means you got to start beating these teams that look, I think Tennessee is going to end up in the top 25 at the end of the year. I'd be very surprised if they wound up in the top 10. So we're looking at a team somewhere probably between 15 and 25 in terms of how good they are. And since that's, that's where we are, that's, that's what we, uh, you know, that's what we need to see. Yeah. I I think this is a, a big time chance for this team to make a statement this season. You got Tennessee coming into the swamp on your home field Saturday night. I just, but just like I need to see Florida prove it. I need to see that defense prove it. The thing that the McNeese state game did for me was it showed me that they can execute. They're capable of executing in the fashion in which we think they can. I know it was McNeese state. I'm not reading too much into that game. And before I say anything further about this game, if we play the way we did against Utah in terms of the sloppiness, if we would have played Tennessee that night, I think Tennessee would have put up a half a hundred on us. They would have put up 50 easy, and we would have lost that game by 40 instead of a couple touchdowns, all right? Utah is basically the Iowa of the mountain time zone, all right? So we didn't we, – we, we were lucky we weren't playing a big-time offense on that night. So this could get away. This could get away from us at some point. However, I loved what I saw last weekend, too. I love the running game. And I think there will be a commitment to it. I think we did learn our lesson from week one. And I'm going to call it close, Will. I'm going to call it close. But give me 24-21 Gators. 
I think Joe Milton's got to prove something here. And I think if you want to talk about the pressure, all the pressure in the world is on that guy to prove something. And you're coming into the swamp to prove it against the Gators. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. So I'm I'm going to go with an upset in this one. I think the Gators get it done. 24-21 commitment to that run game. Pull it out late. Well, and for those of you mad at me, I picked you or I picked Florida to beat Utah in the first one was wrong. So um pick a Tennessee in this yeah. one. Hopefully hopefully I'm wrong and you can come back at me afterwards. Yeah, I picked I picked Utah and I I, I thought I've been struggling with this one all week. I've been struggling with this one all week, but I really, really liked what I saw out of the offensive line last week. And I hope they can carry something over in the total com- commitment to that run game where it might not be super pretty early. It's also contingent on merch not making a huge mistake, Will. Got to keep, got to stay out of trouble there. So, got to see them run the ball well. Got to see Merch not make a mistake and the defense step up a little bit. But let's see it, man. 24 21 Gators. All right. Let's, uh, let's finish up just quick. We'll keep this one quick at the end here. Early season struggles for the SEC. Obviously, South Carolina losing to North Carolina that Saturday night. Florida going into Utah. Can't can't forget that one, obviously. LSU, Florida State, the Knowles cruising. And then Texas goes into Tuscaloosa and knocks off the tide last Saturday night here. Uh you reading too much into this, Will, or is it just hey, they're the UNC, good team. FSU, good team. Texas, good team. I mean, you had Texas in the playoff in the preseason magazine. I was considering doing the same until I saw you you had picked Texas and I backed off of that because I didn't want both of us to buy in on texas that hard but i i liked what i saw at texas early did i think they were going to go into tuscaloosa and get it done no i did not so that, that's quite impressive for sarkeesian and the horns to get that done that early uh some great plays in the passing game there from texas in particular but i know bama actually looks human this is what you know what was amazing when i was watching that game the other night when I when I was look, looking at Milrow struggling a little bit at times, I was like, "Why?" This is the amazing part about the run Saban has been on since essentially the 2009 season. At this point, we're entering into our third decade of Saban dominating at Alabama. Well, that he's dominated over three different decades here. I don't understand how you just don't have a down game once in a while. You can be a great team that has a down game. You know, think of the Jake from South Carolina game, right? You just don't see that from Bama much. And again, I don't know if it was a down game so much as this Texas team might just be really good and and went into Bama and did what they had to do. So are you reading too much into the early season SEC struggles out of the league here or were these just tough matchups? No, I mean, I think what you're finding is, is that other teams are catching up to the SEC when they're able to have outstanding quarterback play. So Ewers was awesome against Alabama and that shows right and Texas has done a really nice job of recruiting over the last you know three, three or four years <laughs> and so all of a sudden now the recruiting battle is close and you got an edge at quarterback and Milrow was okay but he wasn't great made some huge turnovers in that game Alabama comes back and takes the lead and then their defense just couldn't stop anybody and look that is not typically been the way Nick Saban's teams have 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 operated I think when you look at Florida State versus LSU that game looked really close in the first half LSU just could not convert in the red zone and probably could have had a much bigger lead against Florida State than they did um, Jaden Daniels is one of those guys I looked at and said 
was last year a little bit of a mirage? Is he going to come back to where he was when he was at Arizona State? I think that sort of happened. And I think one of the things that Florida State has sort of proven is that the Jordan Travis jump last year wasn't fake and that he's probably going to be able to maintain that that ability this year. But again, we're talking high-level quarterback play. And you look at the teams that have struggled, Alabama with Milrow. You look at Clemson with Klubnik really struggling as well. You look at Texas A&M with Connor Wegman, who's been okay but not great. Um, obviously, one of the reasons that they lost wasn't wasn't just Wegman. <laughs> the defense was terrible against Miami, but Florida with Mertz, right? I mean, the quarterback play, not great. So when we look, Utah's the only team that's got a – that I can really – remember out of memory that's got a huge win over somebody without a huge amount of quarterback without without great quarterback play right but like usc has caleb williams georgia is just hasn't played anybody isn't going to ohio state has looked kind of shaky because their quarterback position you got drake may at north carolina you got ewers at texas Bo Nix at oregon um tyler van got, dyke at miami i was saving van, miami because i wanted to talk about how messy texas a&m might get in the near future you got van dyke van dyke at, at miami you've got Penix. At Washington, you've got Travis at Florida State, and then uh, you know as you sort of drop down. But but I'm naming like ten teams in terms of quarterbacks before I really get to SEC teams. I think they're better than any the the best quarterback in the SEC plays for Arkansas, which is actually a problem for Florida this year because they're going to be at a major disadvantage. One of our winnable games <laughs> when when they play Arkansas. So. Um, look, quarterback play covers a ton of sins. And one of the reasons Texas has struggled is because they have not been able to d- develop an elite quarterback to go with the talent that they brought in there. But look, Charlie Strong brought in very good talent there. Tom Ehrman brought in very good talent there. So you get Sarkeesian coming in. It, he was kind of working from like a Ron Zook baseline when you think about the talent level rather than uh, Billy Napier coming in dealing with the McIlwain and then Mullen baseline of talent. So he walked into already having a bunch of talent and what he needed to do was find the quarterback. Ewers, obviously in the Alabama game last year goes down early. I think they win that game. If he doesn't go down in that game, yeah. Bryce young, you know, pulls a rabbit out of his hat and manages to get that win. Now they're proving, Hey, we're equivalent to that. So look, college football goes in cycles. I think one of the things that we've looked at Nick Saban sort of broken our minds in terms of the fact that things move in cycles. I think I even texted you about this last week, which is that when you go back and look at like the FSU teams in the nineties, like that's about a 12 year cycle of that team truly being elite. Now there were a few years on the back end where Bobby Bowden, you know, there started to be some grumblings about the program and, and then they switched over to Jimbo Fisher. You look at Clemson, they're getting up on about year year 12 of, of Dabo Swinney, and now things seem to be sort of decaying a little bit. You look at Florida under Steve Spurrier, you wonder, did Spurrier leave in 2001 or after 2001 because he kind of sensed that things might be on the down downflow? Obviously, one of the reasons people talk about it is, well, winning isn't good enough, but did he look at it and say winning isn't going to be good enough? And then Saban's been in Alabama forever, but it, we may be starting to see that tail end of that decline as well, just in terms of you know, can he develop, like, does he love it as much as he used to? And can he convey that to the players? And look, I think 10 years at one place, whether it's a job, whether it's a coaching position is a long time. And the hope that I have is like, we're looking at this is that Kirby smarts coming up on that too. We're sitting at like eight or nine years in there. And, you know, with all the speeding stuff we've seen and and the quarterback play not being as good this year, like are they going to struggle as well and start to sort of come back to the pack? So the SEC has been pretty blessed. I think Alabama sort of took advantage of a a time that folks weren't necessarily recruiting at that level. They had a major edge in recruiting, but now everyone is throwing resource after resource in that space. And you get good quarterback play, all of a sudden things flip. 
Yeah, you know, you say that, Will, but Alabama, they had their rise after the SEC was starting to win national title after national title. They were it, – it was uh, – you had the LSU, you had Florida mixed in there, winning titles. Auburn won one in there too. Like, it, it's – it doesn't matter who's been, but the thing is, all these programs I'm naming, they kind of go up and down throughout the years. Bama just stays the same. That's been the well, outstanding part about well, yeah. Alabama. I mean, so look, Ohio State's won a couple of titles in the last in the last 15 years, right? You've got right. some you've got some other teams that have won titles in there. This may be one of those years where you just get a title from a conference that isn't the SEC because the SEC has not matched its elite quarterbacks with the elite talent. Right. So if you ask Nick Saban in a room right now, would he rather have Jackson Dart or Jalen Milrow? And neither one of those guys gets to hear about it. He's taking Dart. Right. And so, um, and I think if you ask Kirby Smart, would you rather have Drake May or whoever he's going to have at quarterback? I think he's going to say Drake May. So there have been some misses. I think that shows of- your thoughts on Carson Beck at this point. <laughs> I have been less than impressed with Carson Beck so far. And again, I think if you ask Texas, would you give up on yours and and bring somebody in from Alabama or Georgia? They go, absolutely not. Like we have the guy we want right now. So quarterback play changes a lot of sins. You think about those Oklahoma teams with Baker Mayfield and uh, and Kyler Murray. Those, yeah. those teams were really, really, really good. Not good enough to win the national championship, but certainly made it into the playoff because the quarterbacks covered a lot of the sins on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's what we're seeing right now. So the the question there's st- the SEC has established itself as the place that you go if you want to make it to the NFL. You look at the NFL draft and it's always just SEC players taken all over the place. But the converse of that is that you're constantly having to turn over the players who come in. And look, I think what we might actually be seeing is a transition. I think Hugh Freeze is doing an unbelievable job at Auburn in terms of if you look at his recruiting class this year and his bump class year, he's doing everything that I wish Billy Napier had done two years ago in his recruiting class. I think you look at sort of the rise and fall of different programs, and it's it's fair to look at Georgia and specifically Alabama and go, okay, we know there's going to be a tail. When is that tail going to actually take hold? Um you know, and then there's things like Brian Kelly out there calling his players out after the game and denying he said stuff that's on tape before the game against Florida State that sort of mimics his faking a Southern accent the year before. And and those sorts of things are quirky and fun when you're winning and you're winning the SEC West. Those sorts of things are going to be held against him by all the faithful in Baton Rouge when things start to go south. And then, like you said, we're going to talk about Jimbo Um a little bit different different story there. But again, you think about quarterbacks, right? Like Jimbo is a guy who supposedly has been an offensive wizard, a quarterback coach. He brings in Petrino to be his offensive coordinator and, you know, still losing big time games. I, I think, uh, you know, the reality is, is that if I look at the SEC, I don't see a quarterback who's going to be in the running for the Heisman. I don't see a quarterback who's going to be in the running for the Maxwell. I don't see a quarterback who quite honestly is going to be in the running for like for AP all American, right? Maybe KJ Jefferson gets like third team all American, but I doubt it. I think those quarterbacks are all elsewhere. And that's what, that's what we're seeing right now is we're just seeing quarterback play makes a big difference. Well, one quarterback I was very high on uh, in our preseason magazine, especially Connor Wegman coming into the season. I, I, I love the idea of bringing Bobby Petrino into Texas A&M. Petrino's offenses flourish wherever he goes. He has been, Hey, hey, look, I am not I'm not a Bobby Petrino fan, 
but the guy can coach. The guy can coach offense in particular. And I thought AM, just the weapons they have on that team, I thought that offense was getting ready to explode. And hey, they still put up 33 points. Well, against the Miami Hurricanes, they come out of the game super hot. They block a punt, they punch it right in for an early score. They go right down, kick another field goal. And they're looking like they're about to steamroll Miami. Miami bounces back. Tyler Van Dyke has a day, just almost passes for 400 yards against a helpless Aggie defense. I thought that running game, I thought Miami had a shot. They're going to have to run the ball. And Van Dyke just went crazy. Big win for the Canes and Crystal Ball down in South Florida, Will. That's 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 a huge difference from what I saw from Miami last year in terms of the ability to respond. But it's not like A&M just no-showed entirely. Evan Stewart was out there doing everything he could can. He was, I think he had 11 catches for over 100 yards. He, they, they got plenty of talent on the A&M roster, but what are you in, in year? Is this year six of Jimbo out in Aggieland? Got to be, got to be asking yourself a lot of questions after this loss of your Texas A&M. Well, so if you look at Wegman's stats and they had a cupcake against New Mexico to start with where he went 18 of 23 with five touchdowns, um, his stats look identical to Graham Mertz after two games. Mm-hmm. Like he's got more touchdowns. He's got more interceptions. His QB ranks 152.8. Mertz's I think is like 151. So those two players have been identical in terms of what they've done out on the field. Against Miami, had a QB rating of 116.6. He doesn't add a whole lot in the rushing game, five for 29. So a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, and, and so, look, AM, I felt like in the first half was the better team, but the the score was, I think, tied there at the half, or maybe Miami. Miami the took half. the lead right before the half. Yeah. So Miami was ahead. So I'm I'm looking at it going, geez, like they they got outplayed and crazy. they're behind. Or they yeah. outplayed them and they're behind for AM. And then things just fell apart there in the second half. So look, yeah, I mean, I think if Jimbo Fisher were our coach. We would be looking at it going, he had the one year of recruiting that bumped up, and then everything is sort of in the Dan Mullen range in terms of overall recruiting rankings. And honestly, that's what we're going to be asking about Billy Napier next year. That 2025 class is going to go a long way towards what the evaluation and the the hype around Napier and the hope that hype Napier is bringing. Um, he's going to have to start piecing that recruiting class together because it's not just about one elite recruiting class. It's about stacking them one after another, after another, after another. And that's the thing about freeze that makes me think he's about to build a monster there at Auburn is one. We know he doesn't mind breaking some rules and two that, um, you know, he's already recruiting at a level where Napier is right now in year three in his second season, um, in his second recruiting class. And so, um, but Jimbo Fisher had a couple of years where they were recruiting. Okay. Then had that one big leap when NIL came in and then all of a sudden it went right back down. That's not going to be good enough if you're not able to out scheme teams. And right now Wegman looks better than he did last year, but doesn't look like a star. And the fact that you struggled to find a star at the quarterback position means you can't, um, you can't get past the fact that your defense can't stop anybody. And look, I mean, AM had played terribly on, on offense last year against Florida, but their defense couldn't stop Florida either. And, you know, that has been a, con- that was a consistent problem for Texas A&M last year is not being able to stop anybody. So there was a lot of, a lot of moaning in Aggie land about, Jimbo calling plays and offensive coordinator and all that sort of stuff. And he brings in the offensive coordinator doesn't help because they're giving up 38 points to, 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 to people that to the decent teams that they're playing. And so, um, yeah, me, I, I think let, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I thought you were done there. Go ahead. No, I was just, just going to say, like, quarterback play is a huge offset. It's why DJ Lagway is so important for Florida. Because if Lagway comes in and is a star, the level of recruiting that Florida has will be – they will be able to win big time with that level of recruiting. The problem is, is if you don't find that quarterback, it's almost impossible to win big time without that level of talent and impossible to do it long-term because then what happens, right? Three years from now, DJ Lagway's in the NFL and you better hit again. And we're actually seeing this at Clemson right now um, in terms of the national stage is that they hit on Taj Boyd. They then had one year with somebody in between. I can't remember the guy's name. Then they then they have Deshaun Watson come in. Then they have Trevor Lawrence come in. So they've had NFL-level quarterbacks for like a decade straight. And Yui Agalele, don't think he's going to play in the league, at least not as a starter. I think Klubnik doesn't look like he's going to play in the league, even though you picked him for Heisman this year. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there are um, – there's something to be said for if you don't recruit at the Alabama and Georgia levels that – you're going to have to get elite quarterback play. And and Texas A&M hasn't gotten that, and they've brought in offensive coordinators. They've got a bunch of offensive guys. They're not getting that, and the defense hasn't been successful. And you combine those things together, and all of a sudden the warts crop, the warts crop up. Kelly Bryant sandwiched between Watson and uh, and uh, Lawrence there. there all right, go. I'm going to read you A&M's schedule. Well, and I want to know, just stop me when Bobby Petrino is going to be on the sideline as the head coach. You ready? <laughs> Louisiana Monroe this week. You got Auburn at, coming into Kyle Field next week. I, I think they, it'll lose to Auburn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, oh, that's going to be trouble. He freeze there. Then you go to Dallas to play Arkansas. Alabama at home. Tennessee and Neyland on October uh, the 14th. They, they have a bye week the 21st. South Carolina at Kyle Field at Old Miss. First Mississippi State. Abilene Christian at LSU. You didn't stop me. So you think Jimbo's making it to the end of the season? Mm, Ole Miss. I think the Ole Miss game is the one. Because that'll be the one. That breaks them? Well, that'll be the one where if A&M's defense can't stop anybody, you'll be able to make excuses for a loss against against Alabama. Um, I think you probably pull out the win against Arkansas. I think you probably – I think the game against Auburn's going to be close. Um, That one's at home, right? That one's at Kyle Field. Auburn is at Kyle Field. In All right, so they weeks. probably pulled that not, one out. Not too. this weekend, next weekend. Yeah. So they probably pull that one out too. So what'll that be? Game nine when they're against uh, Ole Miss? Ole Miss is oh, I didn't count the games here. So yeah, was that about game one, two, three, four, five, six, seven? Uh, yeah, yeah, game nine. Yeah. So yeah. they're probably either six and two or five and three going into that one. Yeah. And if they're five and three going into that one and they lose to Ole Miss and they lose to Lane Kiffin. Um and Dart goes out and throws for 400 yards. The defense can't stop anybody, and Wegman is still sort of struggling. And now you're five and four, like that. That I think is where you get some danger. You lose that game and go to six and three. Like if they're six and two coming into it, I think maybe you get a little bit more rope. Um, yeah, I think. Look, we all know Bobby Petrino ain't going to hesitate to to shiv uh, to shiv his buddy in the <laughs> to shiv Jimbo in the back. Are they buddies? <laughs> Well, I mean, if you if you're Petrino, that's why you take this job as an offensive coordinator, right? Yeah, you take so. this job. I mean, because two things. If all of a sudden A and M had had a bunch of success, and look, they've only lost one game, just like Florida. So, but if if A and M has a bunch of success this year, and the offense looks fantastic, and Wegman turns into a star, Petrino's got a head coaching job probably in the SEC next year. 
And if and if things go south and the offense still looks good, but AM can't win, Petrino's probably the head coach of Texas AM. So, so in terms of his calculation of of what was going on, um, you know, I, I I think that was probably calculated there. But uh, the interesting thing to me is gonna be good grief, the amount of money that Jimbo Fisher is owed. Like they're gonna be they're gonna have to like, you know, there were there was something what was it the other day there was some there was a hospital that was giving a gift to a football program yeah. was it usf that, that was happening i think it was that sounds right yeah 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 and, Tampa and somebody, General, i think and, and somebody tweeted is this the reverse lsu because <laughs> <laughs> the lsu program was suppo- allegedly stealing from hospital funds um so you know something like that's gonna have to go down in college station get rid of jim I mean, what's he owed like 55 million bucks after this year oh i think it's more man i think we're in 70s somewhere like that i think uh we're in well, the, with mel, the mel tucker question, range oh my goodness well uh no comment well, uh, mel tucker <laughs> might be owed zero after after well, we'll, the investigations we'll, conclude we'll see we'll see what ends up happening there but uh um it's a lot of money and so oh man so in 2020, reworked his contract. Is it 72? 10, year, 10 years, $94.9 million. So, uh, holy moly. All right. Hold on. I got to do the math. I, I might have heard 72 with Jimbo, but while, while you're looking that up, the Petrino thing is just fascinating. And and those are certainly – that stretch of games there, that Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, two and two in that stretch – Based on what I saw on the field at Miami, we we might be looking at one and three or zero and four. But I, I do think A and M's got another gear, where they they were sloppy. They were sloppy at times a, against Miami, so I, I'll give them credit for that. But uh, certainly didn't see an elite offense on the field against Miami. That I was really expecting them taking a step forward with that offense this year, but still plenty of time to develop. So Fisher would be owed a seventy six point eight million dollar buyout at the end of this year. Oh, that is that is a lot of recruits you could bring in from NIL. Like at that point, you just say, "Hey, like, can you just go sit in that office over there? We'll let Petrino run things, and we'll divert some of the like. Can we buy you out for like three quarters of it? You don't have to do anything." I saw like, some, I saw someone on, on Twitter joke about uh, putting a Jimbo tax on the concession stand items. Like, guys, <laughs> if we all just chip in an extra couple bucks on the concession stands, we got yeah. the buy out there. That's that's a rough situation. Hey, we're pre- we're sitting here. I want to be clear too. I I'm definitely preaching patience with when it comes to Billy Napier. I think he's early on. There's a lot of circumstances that hey, hey year six. I I'm not going to be talking about patience. <laughs> I'm not going to be talking about patience. We're not making it that far. But uh, man, that's a tough situation out in AM right now, and they definitely got to get it right if Jimbo's got any chance of sticking around. Yeah. If nothing else, when you're on the outside looking in, like I was thinking about this the other day, when Florida State was having all their struggles with Taggart and then early on with Norvell, as an outsider, like it was just sort of you're looking at it going, huh, like that's kind of entertaining. And then after the Utah loss, like, you know, like I had a section in my article called Billy Taggart and Taggart was trending on Twitter and stuff like that. I'm like, it's not so much fun when it's your program that's, that you're starting to doubt. And look, I'm not saying that Napier is that guy, but given what we saw against the Utah game, I couldn't say with positivity that he wasn't. And so that, that uncertainty is what I honestly, I want to see get wrapped up this year. Like he's going to have, he has an ability to, to prove to us that, that the process that the operational excellence that his real value proposition is coming through. 
has an opportunity to do that this week, at least to start doing that. So look, man, it's, it's exciting. It, the cool part about the loss to Utah is that all your goals are still in front of you. You could still make the playoff. This team isn't going to make the playoff, but you could still make the playoff even with that loss. Now the question becomes, you know, can you make some noise in the SEC? Can you reestablish dominance over over Tennessee? Um, can you reestablish dominance over the SEC East, though the East is going away next year? Because um, next year's schedule ain't any easier. So, um, you know, if we're going to sit here and go, well, you know, we haven't beaten any top 15 teams because because that's where our rivals are. It's like, well, that's pretty much the SEC, man. Your rivals are almost always top 15 teams. So, uh you got to win some of those games. It's, and you start it's not like you're losing to total scrubs. That's all I'm making the point. I'm, I'm illustrating the point that that's a little bit of a twisted stat right now. We're a little down. Dude, they lost to Kentucky. They, they lost to Kentucky and Vanderbilt last year. That's no excuse. I, you I'm don't hear not, me talking uh... about, you don't hear me making excuses about that. Do you? you don't hear me making those excuses. Hey, Will, do you see we're recording this Wednesday night? Do you see the Mexican government released uh, bodies of aliens? Do you see that today? Uh, I, I did see that. Yeah, I think I saw Keon Coleman from Florida State jumping over a guy as one of the pictures they released there too. That that did you see that play this weekend? <laughs> Coleman? That guy, did you see that play at Southern Miss against Southern Miss? No, I didn't oh, see that. Oh, you gotta check that out. That hurdle. We'll, All right, I'll we'll, I'll go check that out. Good, good. I'm glad that our rivals have uh are, are putting things on tape that make you compare them to aliens. <laughs> so it's not not total scrubs over there, man. Just well, it turns out our quarterback last year might have fit that uh, might have fit that bill. So, uh, you know, but then played, again, he played pretty well his first start in the NFL. So maybe okay. he made the right decision. Yeah, there's another quarterback that was starting for us a couple of years ago too. That's playing okay over at Cincinnati right now too. So that's uh, not a bad start for old Emory Jones up there, well, and, a, and a and a former recruit out at Arizona State who's putting up stats very similar to Florida's starting quarterback as well. So there's there's a lot of different things going on for comparison's <laughs> sake, man. If we want to make them, it's and- early. We're I gotta talking. be honest. I beat Tennessee, and everybody shuts up. Hey, it's man. an easy formula. This will be a very, very pleasant show next week if we uh, if we come in after beating Tennessee, and then Kentucky will completely ruin the mood on, on that the following week, right? Nah, but see, so you get two up. weeks of glory. That that's the thing. So, um, the over under episode of Gators breakdown. Dave asked me who I thought the most important game was, and I said Tennessee was, and the reason was is that if you had beaten Utah yeah. and you could beat Tennessee. Kentucky is a team that you can probably beat. And so you're looking at the opportunity to start six and oh, um, maybe even seven and oh heading into that Georgia game. And all of a sudden, like the narrative around the program completely changes. Conversely, losing the first game to Utah. Now you lose this one and you got a stew on it for two weeks because Charlotte is an expectation of winning. And you're two and two heading into that game against Kentucky. It's a must-win game must against Kentucky. Win. Right. If if you end up in that situation. So I mean in many ways, the players should be about as motivated as anybody can be because they had to deal with all the crap that was hurled their way after the Utah loss for two weeks. Because people like me are sitting there going, I don't believe what you just put on tape against against McNeese State. And I think that's a fair assessment. But if I'm a player, I can't change people's minds with my play against McNeese State. And if they go out and they lose this game against Tennessee, they can't they aren't going to be able to change anyone's minds going out and playing against Charlotte. They're going to have to start winning the SEC games to do that. So this is an opportunity. If you win this one, 
you get to you get to basically live like a king on campus for a couple of weeks. Obviously, you know, you still need to pay a little bit of attention to Charlotte, but that should be a win. And now you're three and one coming to that Kentucky win Kentucky game, not a must win, but certainly a revenge game and one of the games that Billy Napier is going to have to start winning if he's going to reestablish the program. Again, you still have an opportunity to be heading into those games against Georgia with a six and two record or even a or a five and two record or a six and one record going into that gauntlet at the end because that is a gauntlet but you build up that confidence you have a couple of those games at home are, are is there is there the capacity to then uh to to then turn in a season that's more that beats everyone's expectations even with the Utah game it all starts with this one this has always been because it's always almost always the third game of the season Tennessee game is almost always the bellwether for the season um when the when the rivalry started to fall apart where it became essentially a, a guaranteed win for Florida that sort of shifted to LSU where that was where you knew what you had but mm -hmm. given what we see in the schedule schedule this year this is where we're going to know what we have if florida comes out and wins against tennessee it really establishes the gators not in, not in the georgia realm or the alabama realm but certainly above a&m above south carolina above kentucky above vanderbilt like where those would start to be games where you'd look at it and go, i think florida's gonna be favored in this one and you know if florida loses this one i don't think they're favored against kentucky in a couple of weeks and and things could get ugly real quick so th this is one i think um you know, if, if Napier has things to pull out of the out of the offensive magician's hat, it's time to do it right now. And uh, if if he's got to pull out a merch, is going to throw the ball six times, and we're just going to run it down your throat, and we're gonna we're gonna win this, given who we are and establish our identity. Also, something he's going to have to do because this team to put in a successful season, I think, is going to have to look a lot like the 2012 team, where Driscoll wasn't winning the game, Driscoll wasn't the solution, but he wasn't the problem, right? And and that's what we've got at quarterback right now. So. You're, so Mike Gill Mike Gillisley was the solution that year, and and ETN and and Johnson are going to have to be the solution this year. Let's see it. Big week, big game week here. Will let's do it. Gators, let's go, man. Hope Tennessee I'm wrong on Saturday. Yeah, I hope you're wrong too. I hope you're wrong too. All right, have a great weekend, everybody, and go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.